Today we'll be talking about community. And there was a time in my life when I did not realize how important having a community really was. I had friends and like I enjoyed time with people. I wasn't ever a loner, but I didn't need them. And then one very important thing changed. Dave and I had a baby. And boy, was that terrifying. Why was he crying all the time? Like, why would he not sleep? How were we supposed to go to class and take care of a baby? And some of you are thinking, why were you going to class when you had a baby? That would be because we had a baby during our full-time graduate program in seminary, Um, not by accident. Like, we made that decision. We decided to do that on purpose. And on the practical side, it was not ideal at all. Uh, We were both full-time students who were not allowed to take any time off for having a baby. They were like, you made that decision. Uh, We had no money. We lived in student housing uh, in some apartments that just after we graduated, they knocked down because of black mold. (laughs) But community? Community we had in spades. And boy, did we need it. We'd be up at night and our baby would be crying and we could hear the baby in the apartment below and the baby in the apartment next to us crying too through those thin uh, mold-filled walls. Uh, But we knew we weren't alone. We knew that we were a part of a community there. No one had money, but we pooled money together for what we had and we'd do dinners together, potlucks, which were often a weird combination of things like hot dogs and popcorn because that's what we could afford. But your baby wasn't just your baby, it was our community's baby. We could walk into the cafeteria and truly hand off our newborn son to anyone in the room, and we knew he'd be safe. Uh, Dave likes to remember how sometimes we would play a game to see how far away, how many tables away from us he could get, as he would get passed from hand to hand, stranger to stranger. But we knew he'd be safe and loved. So on paper, it was a mess. Like nothing about our lives or who we were at that point were prepared to have a baby. But we had the one thing that really mattered, what we really needed in that time. And that was that community, that real community of other people. Then we graduated and we got jobs and we went looking for a community like that one where we would have our second child. So we moved into a somewhat idyllic little suburb with big trees and wide sidewalks and good schools. It had everything we didn't have the first time, the stability and the home and the fenced-in backyard with a swing set. But it was missing the one thing that we had left behind. That was that real community that we had had the first time. And boy, was it hard. We're in our final week in our sermon series, Lies of the Suburbs, and we wrote these messages over the past few weeks as people who have lived in the suburbs for over 17 years. So we've talked about these lies over the past few weeks. These things we're tempted to believe. Things like kids will fix it or kids will fix us. Uh, We looked at if I only had, then I would be happy in our chase of wealth and possession. But today we're going to conclude our series by talking about the core of what we long for in the suburbs, but we don't often find. And that's a real community, a real community. The contrast in the two places where Dave and I had our first child and our second child showed us that firsthand. And I'm not suggesting we like all pack up and move to Princeton Seminary, although that would be wonderful, (laughs) um, or some sort of commune. But um, isn't there a part of all of us that longs for a real community? It doesn't have to be perfect, but a place where you're really known, where people really know you. 
where people care more about what's going on in your living room than if you have like a yard of the month thing in your front yard. Isn't there a part of all of us that longs for that? And I know at this point, half of my introverts in the room were like, <laughs> I know. But even for you introverts, don't you long for like one person, maybe two, who you can really talk to, who really know you. Our suburbs promise us that kind of community that I think we're all looking for, but more often than not, it falls short of what we really need. Maybe you love your neighborhood or, or where you live, and I think that's great. I hope you do. I hope you have great neighbors that look out for each other. We have some truly wonderful neighbors where we live. But there are key components of a real community that are just really hard to find in the suburbs. And it's not your fault, and it's not your neighbor's fault. It's no one's doing anything wrong. In fact, I think I know whose fault it is. It's the garage. It's the garage's fault. And this has actually been a scientific experiment for Dave and I. We saw this. When our garage was a mess, we could not park in it. So when we'd come home, we'd have to park in our driveway, and we had to talk to our neighbors. And what was five minutes became an hour, and we were connecting. And then we cleaned out our garage. And now we sneak in. We pull all the way in and shut the door behind us. We don't have to talk to anyone. And sometimes that's outstanding. <laughs> but it's not building a community for us. So if we can't find real community in our neighborhoods, where can we find it? The answer to that should be really easy. It should be obvious to us. The place where we can find a real community is the church. Or it should be. But all those bad habits we learn during the rest of our week inevitably sort of creep in, spill into our religious life and our community here. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be, tra don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by God. Don't let our community of the church be conformed to all those bad habits of isolation we learn out there in the world, but let it be transformed by God instead. And that's really, really hard. And yet the church is built to do that. It's made to do that. And we here at Maitland Prez have a pretty good chance to offer a real community to people and to you. We as a group could meet that pull that people have, that you have to be known. Here's our hard word for today. Some of us could do better at that here. This could be a growing edge for us as a church. Some of you just got really upset with me, but that's okay because that means you're listening. <laughs> so I hope you'll stay with me for the rest because today what I'd like to do is talk about three traits that make a real community. And these are true not just here as a church. If you're like, you know, I don't even go to this church. I just came here this morning. I'm not a part of this. That's okay. These are things that I would love to see you apply to your family and to your friendships and to your workplace and to your actual neighborhoods. And it would be amazing if all of our communities could look like that. But wouldn't it be great if the church was setting the example for everybody else? It's imperative we do this as a church. All right, three ways to be a real community. You ready? All right. First, real community is not transactional. It is not transactional. Transactional relationships are ones, as you know, that are based on if I do something for you, then you do something for me. It's a transaction. 
And this is absolutely baked into being a good neighbor. We learn this in our neighborhoods, and that's okay. You want to be friendly to your neighbor, just friendly enough you can, like, share a fence, but not so friendly that you can't bang on their door when their dog has not shut up for six hours of barking. Good neighbors check on your plants while you're away, and then maybe you loan them some butter because they forgot to go to the store. You keep the scales balanced. It's give and take. And then that bleeds into how we do church together. You can easily start coming into church and thinking, okay, what's in it for me? I give. What am I getting back here? Maybe it becomes a literal transaction. Am I getting what I need? And so then I'll put money in the plate. Then I'll give of my time and resources. Sometimes maybe it's how you see other people. Someone comes in the doors for the first time and you're like, welcome to church. I'm going to need you to take over that volunteer position that I started doing 10 years ago and they will not let me stop, but you look healthy and alive. Would you like to take care of this? It's not real community. Real community is not transactional. It's transformational. Real community is not transactional. It's transformational. Do you remember in the Gospel of John when Jesus is with his disciples and he starts going around and washing their feet like one at a time? They were so uncomfortable. Jesus shouldn't be washing anyone's feet. That was the job of a servant and they couldn't possibly pay him back for that kind of care. But he just keeps going, washing one foot after another, not for what he would get back from them, but for how it would help them, how it would transform them. And then that sets the stage for that one big thing Jesus does at the end of his life when Jesus died for you to save you. And it was definitely not because any of us earned that or could pay it back. There is nothing transactional in our relationship with God, nothing at all. It's all about grace. Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of work so that no one may boast. It's not transactional. But it also wasn't just about you. Jesus then was sending you out to be a part of that work without expecting anything in return to care for other people. So after Jesus washes all those feet and they're super uncomfortable, he turns to them and he says this, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for that's what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Real community is not transactional, it's transformational. It changes you, but not just for your sake, but so that you can go out and love other people and help them find the change that they need. It's not about you getting what you want. It's about you creating a place that's transformational for everyone around you. Maybe it's possible to do that in our families. I think it is. Maybe it's possible to do that in our neighborhoods. I think it can be. But I know it's possible at church. And I know that because we're all following the one who washed feet and then told us to do that, told us to go live in that kind of grace. And we're going to mess that up all the time, but that means we have to keep trying. All right, second, real community is not superficial. Real community can't stop at that surface level. Now, our neighborhoods can. 
especially if you have an HOA. Now, maybe some of you serve on the HOA, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I mean, it might be, <laughs> but I'm not saying that. One of the big purposes of an HOA, at least in the neighborhoods we've lived in, is to keep everything looking just right. Is your garage painted the appropriate color? Is everything on the outside put away? In our neighborhood in Ohio, I kid you not, they'd come around with a ruler and they would measure the height of your grass to make sure it was mowed. Here's the problem in that. Everything on the outside and on the surface of your home can look just perfect. And that will keep your neighbors happy and keep all of our property values up. But on the inside, some of us are falling apart. Behind that beautiful lawn and that freshly painted front door, someone in your neighborhood, and maybe that someone is you, is really hurting. But no one will know that because everything outside is just right. We wave to our neighbors. We make comments about how great the weather is or why on earth did they not pick up the trash yet this morning? And then we pull into our garage and the door shuts and we fall apart. Superficial relationships work for our neighborhoods, but it does not make a real community. Real community is not superficial. It is authentic. And that's because we follow a God who's always been more interested in what's happening below the surface. First uh, Samuel 16, 7, For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This means talking about real things, not just the weather and the trash collection. And Jesus sure did this. I love Jesus because he was hilariously bad at small talk. Like, couldn't make small talk for anyone. You will never find Jesus talking about the weather in the Bible. Like, not once. He doesn't ease into conversations. He always goes, like, right for the heart, right for what's going on. In John 4, Jesus goes up to this well, and there's a woman who really just came to get water that morning. She's like, I got to get the water, and I got to get back to what I'm doing, and I got to do the thing. And she's at the well, and Jesus draws her into conversation and jumps into this metaphor about, well, you thought you were coming to get water, but I'm living water. And she's like, yeah, I really did just come to, like, fill up my bucket. <laughs> and then she thought she was just going to get to go home, and then he drops this casually into conversation Go call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husbands. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. All right. I'm not suggesting you do this to your neighbors. May I probably not even hear at church. Like, I understand if, like, you greeted someone in the narthex and they're like, hey, good morning. And they're like, hey, I hear that you had five husbands and the person you're living with is not your husband. I'm not suggesting that's how we make friends. Like, I know that Jesus can do things that we can't do. That's okay. But what if we eased into a little more of that? What if we refuse to limit ourselves to the superficial? You know, when we do this, of course we do. Out in, out in the narthex the lobby on Sunday morning, like, hey, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> you're not fine because you said fine three times. That's how I know you're lying. It's never true. What if you made an intentional choice to be just a little more open about your real life here at church? Because, boy, that HOA mindset, that creeps into all of us all the time. You know, everyone loves a well-dressed church member who can make polite conversation over cookies. I know. But what if we were really more honest about the struggles that we were facing here? What if we had at least one-on-one -on -one let our guard down just a little? 
But to do that, first we have to prove to one another we're safe to be authentic with. People have to be able to share their lives and know that they'll be safe with you to do that. So they got to take off like your HOA name tag and be like, I don't care if you're an absolute mess on the outside. I want to know what's going on in the inside, in your real life, and in your heart. Now, again, I know for our introverts, you guys are like, I'm out. I'm not doing any of that. And I get it because I'm not an introvert, like, obviously, but I'm married to one. (laughs) Um, And I'm not saying you need to get up on Sunday morning and, like, bear your secrets from the pulpit or shake 50 hands on Sunday. But find your one person or maybe two. That one person, when you walk in on a Sunday, you look at each other and without even saying anything, you know they know you and you know them in a real and authentic and real community kind of way. Someone who knows your real story, not that cleaned up version that we all bring in here when we come. So real community is not transaction, it's transformation. It's not superficial, it's authentic. And we'll do one more. Real community is not easy. It's not. I'll be honest with you, living in my little suburb in Maitland, that's easy. Wave to the neighbors, pull into the garage, shut the door. But real community isn't easy. It's hard. Like, it's really, really hard. It's really hard to have a real community. It's a commitment of your time. You're never going to be a part of a real community if you haven't given it your time and your energy and been present with people, even if you're exhausted or you just want to go home and be on the couch. It takes commitment of your money and your willingness to help and to be engaged and to participate. It requires a willingness to have really hard conversations instead of keeping things light. But here's the big one. You thought that was hard. That's all easy. That's small potatoes. Real community requires the hard and ongoing work of forgiveness. Because if you are in a group of people that's a real community for more than a minute, that person's going to have made you mad, and that one hurt your feelings, and you just want to take your ball and go home. The hardest part about being in a community is the work of forgiveness. It's the hardest part. And yet that is the very core of who we are as Christians. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you, Ephesians 4. And that one critical piece of being a Christian is one of the reasons that I believe that the church can be a community in the way that your neighborhood probably never will be. Because forgiveness is extraordinarily hard to do if we take it seriously. But we as Christians don't get an out. We can't just never speak to that neighbor again when that's the person in the pew next to us. We're commanded to do it. And we're especially commanded to do it when it's someone else in your church family. And not just once, but over and over again. In Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, if if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you 77 times. And I know some of you are like, yeah, I did 78 with that person next to me. I'm done. But it's not a literal number. It literally means forever and ever and ever. Churches can be a place, if we take this seriously, where you could really mess up, like make a huge mistake. And you'd know that you'd be given another chance. There's not a lot of places in the world that'll do that for you. Now, real communities don't pop up overnight. They're built by a group of people who are committed to do it, even when it's hard to be transformational and authentic and to do that work. So where do we start? With you. 
It starts with you, individually, you. Some of you, as we're talking about these things this morning, we're like side-eyeing someone across the room, uh, maybe elbowing the person next to you. That's one of my favorite moments, by the way, as a preacher. It's when I'm like saying something and I look out and someone's like, <laughs> love that but this one like let's let's calm the nudges let's put down the side glances because this one it has to start with you the only way for us to be a real community the kind of community that God's calling this church to be is to do our work individually first because it's easy to notice how everyone else isn't doing their part I know but what about you are you coming here to church ready to serve other people, the other people in this room, to love them where they are without looking for anything in return? Are you a safe person to be vulnerable with? If you said, hey, how are you? Good morning. And someone actually told you, would you be a safe person to hold that information and to love them right where they are? Are you someone that's coming in and saying, all right, look, I might be mad at that person, Lord, but I'm going to do the work of forgiveness and try to repair that relationship with them. Are you willing to do the hard work of being together? Matthew 7 says, when you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye, how can you say to your neighbor, let me take that speck out of your eye when the log's in your own eye, you hypocrite. Take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly the speck out of your neighbor's eye. It starts with you first. That's the first step. But you guys, if we can do this well, if we could take this seriously, we could offer something to our community and to one another that truly no one else can. Not our neighborhoods, not our restaurants, or our bars, or activities, or clubs, and all those ways that we spend our time. This can be a place where people find real community. This could be a place where you have a real community because each of us are made for that. And we're searching for it, whether we know it or not. And what if we found it here? We're going to stop there for this morning, but let's pray. God, thank you for this time together as your people and this time in your word. Make us, God, the kind of people that you're calling us to be so that we could love in a way that's not about us, but that's always about you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.